Good morning, live from Los Angeles. This is Rabbi Erez Sherman and Rabbi on the Sidelines, where we discuss the intersection of sports and faith. We are just days away from the 2021 Tokyo Olympics, where, of course, we always love watching the sport of swimming and the stars and future stars that come out during those amazing events. This morning, we are joined by four-time United States Olympic gold medalist in swimming, two medals in the 4 by 100 meter medley relay, a gold medal in the 100 and 200 meter backstroke, a participant in the Maccabiah Games within Israel, and a strong advocate for Judaism, for Israel, and the sports of swimming. We are honored this morning to be joined by Lenny Kreiselberg. Lenny, thanks for joining us this morning. Thank you for having me. Really excited to be here and uh, have a great conversation. Looking Absolutely. So just days away from the Olympics, we missed last year's Olympics based on COVID, obviously. Um, what do you see coming up this year that we should be looking out for, um, both within the United States team and around the world? Well, I think first and foremost, the athletes are excited that the games are happening. You know, for, for the Olympians, this is it. I mean, that for us, that's the that's the highest level of um, athleticism you can reach, the highest level of competition, and certainly having a ch- chance uh, to to go to the Olympics, it's it's very special. And there for a minute, people weren't sure if that was going to happen. Mm-hmm. So the fact that it is happening, it's very exciting uh, for global sports in general, but certainly for for the U.S. Olympic team. And in particular, swim team, uh, it's really exciting time. Uh, I just came back from U.S. Olympic trials a couple of weeks ago. And uh, it's exciting. It's exciting to see the roster of the team. Uh, There are definitely some veterans on that team as well as as a lot of first-timers, which is very interesting. You could really sense the generational change because Mm. there are so many first-timers on this particular team. So it will be interesting to see how it all plays out, how they perform. Uh, but the fact that uh, they're they're going in the game, they're going to the games and representing United States of America. I mean, I mean, and having our flag on your cap speaks a lot, and uh, for the responsibility you have, not just for yourself, your family, but also for this country. So you talked about the generational change. Does that? look any different in the pool in terms of how these swimmers train in terms of uh, either different techniques or from your time to this time, what has changed within those generations? Oh, yeah, that's a great question. Absolutely. Uh, Both generational change in terms of times. Uh, Times are uh, faster. But I will tell you, certain events are faster than others. Uh, training methods have absolutely changed. If if I uh, pull, you know, if I give an example of what I used to do when we trained, it was all about uh, volume training. Uh, the more, the better. Now, uh, same events for uh, athletes that are swimming, same events that I did, it's more um, race-based training. So you really got to be able to... Um, to train at the speeds that you're going to race. So you got to be able to prepare your body what it feels like to, to train at a certain discomfort. Or, mm-hmm. and, and it's really important. It's all, it's, it's all about that uh, you know, muscle memory and mental memory. So that's a big change. Um, obviously, technology, the swimsuit technology ha- has changed 
quite a bit as well. The, the swimsuits are very different. The material is different these days. Um, it definitely helps the bodies to float up on the water a little bit higher, wow. which uh, decreases the drag, uh, makes you go a little faster. So there's definitely been advancements. But then you look at most sports, uh, there's always, I mean, it's a, it's a natural progression that things continue to evolve and it's no different in swimming. So you just said discomfort, the practice of discomfort. Take us through what that actually means. I mean, we always hear no pain, no gain. But in terms of the highest level of sports, is that the healthy way of practice? Or is there a discomfort level where you understand that what I'm doing right now will allow me to achieve and not give up? Yeah, you know, that that's a great question. It's uh, Well, I, I guess it's both. It, it's certainly a understanding that you have to go through the process of being uncomfortable to get to a point where you are comfortable and where you are successful. Um, I think that's just that that's just the way of life, really. And uh, certainly in sports, it's 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 very true. So it, it is important that uh, you go through that uh, process on a daily basis. But it also, uh, in terms of, um, you know, pushing your body to the limit and being able mm-hmm. to perform at your peak, you're obviously going to enter into a, a, um, a period of being uncomfortable, being uh, because you're pushing your body to that limit. So how do you manage that and obviously most of it comes from you know mentally uh being aware of that because you have practiced it over and over and over Mm -hmm. and it's almost becomes uh, a second nature you know you you don't think about that so it's a process and i will tell you a lot of it it, it's a lot of it happens in practices and you got to learn that and you got to go through that process um, really on a daily basis if you want to get to the level that uh, you know we all try to achieve in, in sports i mean the, what you just said is a common element of faith that i've been speaking to many different people in the sports world it's this idea that you know people think that when you walk into a religious institution that you're going to stand up on the metal stand right away but it's the discomfort that you sometimes go through in order to understand these greater heights that you are trying to achieve um trying to achieve as well so your story is unbelievable because as a US Olympian you were not born in this country and not only that born in Odessa in Russia your Jewish identity was something that you didn't really know about so much so before you talk about that, I'm going to share a little clip here from, um, I believe, the Tribe Conference a couple of years ago. Lenny Kreselberg, four-time U.S. Olympian gold medalist for the swim team. Here's his story about growing up in Odessa, Russia. Uh, so my story starts uh, in the former Soviet Union. I was born um, in Odessa, for, uh, currently Ukraine. Um, and uh, definitely in a city that uh, wasn't, they didn't have a large Jewish community. Judaism wasn't something we talked about a lot, wasn't something you spoken, you know, at home, uh, wasn't something you spoke at school about. But we as a family were very proud, uh, you know, to be living in Odessa. At five years old, my parents decided, my father decided to have me start uh, swimming. 
and something I, I didn't know much about, but he really wanted me to be in, in athletics. So he enrolled me in a uh, Soviet sports system where I can try and learn how to swim. Uh, it was definitely an uh, interesting experience. I certainly enjoyed it right away and really liked the, the environment. But it was also a bit awkward for me because I was the only Jewish kid on, uh, on that team. And uh, uh, even at six, seven years old, uh, you could already hear the names, you know, bad names that I was called being Jewish and kind of being alone in, in that environment. Because So you said two things that are really fascinating. Number one is your dad lived out the Jewish teaching within our Talmud that one of the things you should do is teach your child to swim. And he did that literally, which we'll talk about in a moment. But then you also mentioned, and we're talking about a rise of anti-Semitism today in this country of America, what it was like back then in the early 80s to be part of this Russian swim, swim club as a sort of perhaps hidden Jewish identity, but hearing what the kids were talking about. So go back to walking into those swim clubs as a Russian Jew and what that meant to you or what you didn't know it meant to you at that time. Yeah, uh, well, first of all, it's, it's so great to look at that video again. I, I haven't seen that in a while. It, it, you should it, watch it. Everybody should watch the entire video. It's unbelievable. Thank you. I appreciate it. Uh, well, yeah, you know, um, as I mentioned, uh, growing up in Odessa, it was uh, a very interesting experience. Uh, I don't know how many viewers know about history of Odessa, but it was one of the largest Jewish populations uh, going back to 19th century. Um, and uh, so there was always a great uh, Jewish tradition. However, you know, during communism years, it was always uh, suppressed and hidden. And uh, because there was so much anti-Semitism going on, uh, my parents obviously experienced that, felt that growing up. And uh, they, they tried to um, uh, shield us from it a bit. But obviously, when you're out there, when you're going out there in the world and you're not your parents are not around you very you know it, it it kind of relates to every father needs to teach their child how to swim it's mm -hmm. uh, there's a literal translation but there's also yes. like it's going out there in the world and experiencing for yourself and being prepared uh to handle the obstacles so for me it was uh it was hard because you could tell uh, i i i sense i was a bit different because of uh uh, being only Jewish kid, um, growing up uh, in a culture where ki kids, my, my peers, uh, although they might have not understood themselves what what it what it was who, like who I was as a Jew, but they also but they certainly heard it at home because it was such mm -hmm. a big part of the Soviet culture that uh, Jews were were looked down upon and would usually be the cause of all the problems that the Soviets, uh, you know, the communism had. So uh, they were certainly communicating that by their, you know, whether it be verbal, whether it be more just uh, uh, keeping me away from the majority of the group of our class, uh, but they was kind of being pushed aside in a sense uh, because of, uh, of me being Jewish. Uh, one thing I will tell you, though, uh, my coach uh, was Armenian. Mm. So uh, there was that, uh, uh, I guess, a layer, a little bit of layer of support and protection because, you know, our Armenians were also Absolutely. a minority and also faced uh, 
their own suppression in Soviet times. So it was good to have an ally uh, in my corner. But I will tell you that really a lot of times uh, I had to uh, prove myself and really establish myself based on what I was doing in the pool. And yeah. <laughs> that so was when, my way out. Kind that's of. interesting. So when you say that, right, all of a sudden, Lenny, the best kid in the pool, right? Did that then gain respect? Oh, we're going to put the Jewish thing aside. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, that, that, that basically what it came down to is that once uh, it, it, what I was doing in the, in the pool, what I was doing in training, whether it be outside in the weight room or when we were doing cross training, I was one of those leaders. And I, I was never a vocal leader to, um, you know, I was always one leading by example and leading mm -hmm. by my actions. And uh, I don't know, I guess it's a human nature that, that people tend to um, align with someone that leads by example and, yes. and, and excels. And uh, I'd like to think that those are my principles early on and I've never, you know, lost those principles. They're, they're still really important to me today. So there you are as a child growing up in as a Jew in the Russian sports system. And at 13, you go to the United States of America, but a, wound, a, a winding way, as we say, the wandering Jews, with the help of HIAS, the Hebrew Immigrant Aid Society, which helps you financially in this country, I believe through Vienna and Italy, if I got all the facts correct. But Absolutely. You, you end up finally in the United States and you train at the JCC right down the road from here at Sinai Temple. Um, go to that moment when you're like, wow, now I'm training in a Jewish community center. Put those pieces together. And what was that like? Well, first of all, the fact that uh, uh, I was comfortable talking about being Jewish, hmm. that, was, that was a change to begin with, right? Uh, considering where I grew up in Soviet Union. So just the fact that uh, uh, I started to uh, learn more about Judaism and just being at the JCC, and, and uh, I remember the first first experience of a Purim carnival, and uh, in I think '89, maybe two months wow. living in this country, it was uh, it was special. It was welcoming. It was certainly you felt community, and you felt a lot of pride. Um, so, you know, swimming at the J at the Jewish Community Center obviously was like wow. Like after you know my experiences in Soviet Union, here I am now in in LA and swimming uh, on the swim team at the Jewish Community Center. It, it was ironic, right? Uh, that uh, this is the place where I ended up being and and uh, trying to establish my home here in this country. Which is amazing because right now your swim academy is now at the Jewish Community Center, which my daughter, now nine, was six months old when we put her in that first pool. So uh, thank you for what you have been doing, not just for the Jewish community, but really, um, everybody within the LA community as well. So you end up training and you go to Santa Monica. I believe that you didn't get any scholarships for, for swimming. So we'll take a quick look at this from Santa Monica College, how you get to USC and the inspiration for the Olympics. During his freshman year at Santa Monica City College, Kraselberg began training during the summer with USC's Trojan Swim Club under then head coach Mark Schubert. And by the time the summer was over, Mark got me into his office and said, Lenny, I want to offer you a full ride to USC. 
and uh, I really believe you can be the best backstroker in the world. After finishing my collegi collegiate eligibility, um, in 98 I became a pro and signed my first uh, contract at that time, uh, with really with the focus to make it to the Olympic Games in, in 2000 in Sydney. When did you realize that you went from a non-scholarship swimmer to a potentially best backstroke swimmer in the entire world competing in the Olympics? Well, the, the re realization came uh, in, in 1996 at U.S. Nationals in the summertime. Um, that was, um, I didn't make the Olympic team I, uh, a few months prior to that. And I went to those U.S. Nationals and won, won both the 100 and 200 backstroke. And my times would have medaled at the Olympic Games. Wow. And uh, at that moment, uh, I realized that I belong. And I think that's really important. The word belong is really important, especially where, when you're striving uh, to accomplish something, uh, confidence, but uh, feeling confident and, and understanding and realizing that you belong is very powerful. So, because from feeling of belonging, you also, your confidence goes up. Mm -hmm. And I, uh, I really felt that, that, uh, it was just a matter of time until I will be the best backstroker in the world. Wow. And I've heard the coaches, uh, talk, tell me that, uh, that Lenny, you are talented and good enough to to be the best in the world and for me personally i love work at i love hard work uh, i always i thrive on that i love the feeling of being so tired and exhausted uh because you know you left it all um mm -hmm. you know in the swimming pool for me mm -hmm. and that uh that feeling I, I i always got a high off of that and uh that's why I knew it would be just a matter of time until I, I get, I mature, I get enough training under my belt uh, to be the best in the world. So let's take, uh, let's go to Sydney and uh, look at this Olympic record that you broke. Behind them, Watson is trying to go with them. Preiselberg by a stroke. Welsh is taking it to him. Preiselberg from Welsh, first and second. Preiselberg, he's got about 15 minutes to swim. Welsh is trying hard. Watson is coming on. Good grab bronze. Preiselberg in front, he's going to win. Welsh will get second. Watson is fourth. So there you break an Olympic record. What is it like in the pool? I know what it's like watching on TV, but what, what are you focusing on? Do you, you, it's, it's, it's different than any other type of sport. Like you can't see the guy in lane one or lane 10. Is it just focusing on yourself? How do you get to that moment? And when do you realize that you've actually won the race and broken an Olympic record? Well, there's a lot to answer there. Well, first yeah. of all, uh, uh, you you definitely don't see you you can see a couple of, you know few people on either side of you just with your peripheral vision but that's about it you're really trying to stay in your lane in your zone and, and trying to focus on what you're trying what you're you're trying to accomplish um, um, obviously for me I could see I was ahead of majority of the people but I could also see that in lane five Matt Walsh was pretty close to me but uh, I felt like I had about a half a body lead on him. You had and, longer uh, fingernails. <laughs> <laughs> well, that always helps, you know, especially in swimming. We're talking yeah. about the hundreds of a second difference sometimes. So I, you know, 
that I, I, I sensed it, but certainly I, I was also a bit surprised how much he was able to hang on to me. And I knew uh, I didn't really feel 100% comfortable until I launched into the wall, touched the wall, and I kind of looked to the side and I could see he was just coming in. Wow. So that, that feeling uh, that I, you know, that I got it. Uh, but it also, I mean, how does it feel? For me personally, it was a relief quite honestly. Mm. Um, there was a lot of pressure on me heading into the games. I was favored to win the gold medals. I was uh, a world record holder at that time. And, uh, you know, for the U.S., I was probably the most, uh, one of the top athletes for the whole U.S. delegation, not just swim delegation. There's a lot of expectations and a lot of sponsor expectations. So the, there, there was definitely pressure. So first, first feeling is relief. So mm -hmm. second feeling is tremendous accomplishment and pride and also realization, you know, 11 years prior to it, I came to America with a dream wow. that my parents had for me. And here I am, you know, standing in the metal pedestal as an Olympic champion and uh, a star spangled banner playing in, in my honor. It's, it's pretty, pretty incredible. So that's Sydney in 2000, but then 2004 in Athens, you make a return. You get to the top. You said there was relief that you did that, but now is there pressure again, or is it just like whatever happens, happens? How do you repeat? And you look, I mean, you look at LeBron James and Michael Jordan and all these great athletes to repeat or three-peat. Is that your goal or is they just, I'm here? How do you stay on top once you get there? Yeah, that's, you know, for me, and let me just go back for, for a minute. Uh, before the final of that 100 video we just, we just watched, that 100 race, uh, I, I was really nervous also because I knew, you know, and I, especially the night before, I knew that tomorrow night, and I always say this, tomorrow night at 7.30, I have to be good for 52 seconds. Will I ever have that chance again in life? I really don't know. Mm -hmm. And I thought about that. And ironically, over the next four years heading into Athens, that's exactly what I experienced. I had a lot of injuries. I had three shoulder injuries. I had two wow. shoulder surgeries. I had a knee surgery. So I could never stay healthy. And to be able to stay at this level uh, and compete with the best in the world when you're not healthy is just really tough. So it was more mentally being able to persevere mm -hmm. through these challenges and not give up and not say, you know what, you're already a three-time Olympic gold medalist. Maybe it's time, move to, time to move on. So this was, this was the most challenging part for me. I, you know, there's a, there is a part of me that, that wishes or kind of like wishes things would have been different is that I wish I would have stayed healthy in between those two Olympic games. Because I, I do think my best was still ahead of me. Uh, but you know how sometimes in sports, some have a lucky break and are always healthy throughout their career, and some have to, um, you know, grind it through with through injuries. So for me, making the Athens team was tremendous accomplishment, considering what I went through physically to just to get to that point and qualify for the second games. And take us through like the difference between individual race, like we just saw, and like the four by one hundred, like being the strongest link, the weakest link. What is the team aspect when you're dealing with the medley um, type of relay race in the swim? Well, uh, swimming for a team it always raises your level of excitement uh, few folds at, at the least. 
because uh, you're not now you're not doing it just for yourself. You're you're part of the team and you have greater expectation and greater responsibility, but also you're able to feed off of the energy that your teammates uh, provide. And I think it's so important uh, in any team sport is to, to, to have that right energy, that, that uh, right attitude, and everyone being in sync. And when that happens, it's, it's almost magical, you know, the results that you can accomplish. And I certainly was fortunate enough to experience that in, in Sydney as well as in Athens is when everything clicks and when all of your teammates are on the same page and you guys are first and foremost, you're swimming for each other and have tremendous pride on that and honor. So that's your Olympic career. You have taken us around the world from Russia to Vienna to Italy to the United States, then back to Sydney and then to Athens. But there's one piece that's missing, and that's the land of Israel. So here's a uh, short little clip about your trips to Israel, and then we'll talk about your connection to that land. For me personally, I've been to Israel uh, three times. And uh, every time I went, I learned something new. I, I really think that every time you go there, you learn something new, you experience something new. Uh, someone can give you a different perspective that you didn't necessarily know the first time around. So going there, even for kids that have been there before, I think being part of a different group is going to be a very unique, exciting experience. They're going to be among the teenagers their same age. They're going to spend some time with Olympic champions, and it, it's going to be a once-in-a-lifetime experience. So what was your knowledge about Israel growing up in Russia? And then when did you also realize that, you know what, this is also an achievement that I will walk into the land of Israel and take your talents of swimming there to represent the Jewish people? Well, not much knowledge growing up in, in Odessa. Uh, That's what I thought. <laughs> no, we didn't talk much about Israel. I mean, I, I, if I recall, the first time that, that Israel really came into a conversation was when we were planning to immigrate. Because leaving Soviet Union uh, as a Jew looking for political asylum, asylum, we all we all were going to Israel, and it's when we got to Vienna is when we actually. I mean, we all knew all along we're going to the U.S., but at least leaving exiting the country, we were all going to Israel, and wow. in, in Vienna is when you actually were going either either to Israel or to Rome and then the United States, but. Uh, you know, for me, uh, going to Israel in 2001, that was the first time I went to the Maccabiya. It was a, 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 a very special experience um, uh, on many levels. First of all, tremendous pride for being Jewish, uh, for our heritage, for, um, for our community, for the culture, um, for pride uh, of being a Jew. Uh, I think you, I, I don't know if you feel it, at least for me personally, it, it raises the level of pride and, and uh, when you get there, mm -hmm. um, at least that's how I experienced it. So 2001 was really special. Um, I, I also went during a very yes. tough time because yes. it was right at that second intifada and there was a lot of, uh, Tough, just the, the, the energy and the vibe and concerns were real. And uh, the games were actually, uh, there were talk of games potentially being canceled. And, uh, but the fact that I was there, in fact, that the, the Jews from around the world came for the games and uh, were there to support the, the Israelis 
and, and to show support for them and for the games to happen and really just be part of that experience and being an opening ceremony and for me having an honor to carry United States flag <laughs> into an opening ceremony. I mean, there's so many things about that experience. Uh, uh, honestly, it's surreal. I mean, you don't really think about things like that that can actually happen you know where you grow up and eventually you move to the country like united states and you're you're proud to be a jew and then you go to israel and you're you're fortunate enough to carry a united states flag into opening ceremony i mean that's just and then you're in the stadium and then full stadium is singing in particular. Wow. I mean, you the know, I mean, right now. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's just, uh, it, it, it's special. And it, a lot, it, it's almost impossible to really describe it. Mm -hmm. I, I think you, you have to really feel it. And, uh, you know, that's where your, your, I guess the level of pride and just goes to the next level because it, it is so special and it is so special to know that, through all the challenges, through all the uh, obstacles uh, throughout history of time, uh, we continue to thrive and excel and, and, and grow and impact the world in so many ways. So we were actually going to take a trip this summer from Sinai Temple to go to the Maccabi Games and it got postponed next year. Right. So we're planning that right now and we hope to experience at least part of that to understand what it means to bring together faith, sports, Judaism, and really put them all in one. We spoke offline just before about next year, the 50th anniversary of the Munich massacre. And that also brought together Israel, Judaism, and sports. What does that mean to you as a U.S. Olympic swimmer born in Russia, connected to the state of Israel with that coming up 50 years, and also with the anti-Semitism that unfortunately is growing uh, even today, how can the sports world today in 2021 be a beacon of light to the rest of the world that doesn't know who we are and what we're about? Well, first of all, we know that sport, sport changes the world. Uh, that, that's one uh, common thread that it brings a lot of the world together and cultures together. And I think through sport, we need to continue to talk about and highlight the anti-Semitism and highlight, highlight the positives, high, highlight the, the, our culture, our tradition, our principles and values, uh, Jewish principles and uh, values that are so important and so, so right, so appropriate. I, I, I think people that, that truly uh, non-Jews that truly understand the right principles of community and support and family and and uh, helping others really value what Jewish teachings, mm -hmm. you know, give and teach. Uh, we need to continue to to talk about that and vocalize that. And obviously, you know, the 50-year anniversary is certainly a sad, sad. It's a dark moment in in Olympic history in Jewish history. Uh, I think the most important thing is that we have to continue to educate this young generation, this next mm -hmm. generation about these uh, really painful moments in history. And uh, because it's our responsibility to continue to keep this, keep this going and educate. It's all about education, right? I, I think that's the key. Um, it's educating the next generation and not being afraid to talk about it and, um, and uh, highlighting it. So you talked about sport changing the world. 
after this unbelievable career, you could have said, I'm done. But you created this swim academy, which has been unbelievable. And as I uh, said that I'm going to be in conversation with you, we got a wonderful email from a member of our community and member of your swim community. I want to give a shout out to Zach Mandel. Hopefully he's watching. Um, why did you create that community? And what has that done for children and their families outside of the swimming pool that you teach those lessons in the swimming pool? Well, you, you know, uh, for those people that follow sports and professional athletes, they, they see it's, it's very obvious to notice that there's a really tough transition into a real world after athletes retire from their professional careers. And how do you find yourself? How do you uh, get to do something that you wake up every morning with a purpose and, and, and drive? And for me, I certainly wanted to stay in, the, in, in sports. I've always enjoyed working with kids, um, and I was so fortunate to to realize and have people around me to help me uh, start the swim academy and, and realize this vision and understand that you're you're in a position of doing something that impacts so many young people, and uh, it, it's just it, it's special. So it's been almost it's been 16 years now that we oh. have had this swim academy and um, you know the impact we make uh, is is really powerful uh, you know uh, through sports there's so many life lessons of perseverance and dedication and commitment and uh, you know working together with others uh, that, that are that are life lessons mm -hmm. and to be able to uh, build something like this that uh, kids can experience go through um, feel um, feel fulfilled and satisfy themselves and feel a lot of pride for themselves as they uh, continue to reach their goals is is so important that uh, for me and just fortunate that uh, I can be in a position to to have this vision and then have the right people to help execute it and realize it uh, on an everyday basis. That's amazing. And like I said, so many, I mean, that those pools are jammed with children and families doing exactly what your dad did for you and Odessa saying, this is a sports that a lesson that I want to teach my children. So final question, as we watch the Tokyo 2021 Olympics, who's the next Kreselberg? Who's the next Phelps? Who should we be watching out for um, on that Olympic medal stand, hopefully from the United States? Well, Caleb Dressel is the name everyone should be looking at. Uh, he is definitely a superstar in the world of swimming. Uh, we are fortunate to have him as a United States uh, uh, Olympian. Uh, he is definitely one to watch. Uh, I think he has a shot to win multiple gold medals. Wow. And uh, you will hear that name quite a bit during the two weeks of the Olympics and certainly first week when the Olympics, when swimming competition is happening. You heard it here first on Rabbi on the Sidelines, Caleb Dressel. We'll make sure we give him the appropriate bracha, the blessing to get him to the medal stand. Lenny, it's been an amazing joy to uh, join us here on Rabbi on the Sidelines. Much more than the 
lessons that we learn in the pool is the impact that you have made on the is on the Jewish community, on the swim community, but really the uh, communities that you live in and take part at as well. We look forward to uh, you joining us in person one day here at Sinai Temple, hopefully over this upcoming year. Good luck with the academy, with the uh, team that you are involved as well, and also to the U.S. on this July 4th weekend. I think we can say God bless America and God bless the USA in the uh, Tokyo 2021 Olympics. Lenny, it's great to have you. Thank you so much. Thank you, Rabbi. I appreciate the time.